Good morning, Mission Point. It's so good to gather together again, to worship together, to, to look at God's word together, and also a happy Valentine's Day to everyone. Hopefully that doesn't come as a quick reminder to anyone. You can swing by somewhere on your way home if you need to, but uh, for those of you that may not know me, my name is Kyle Brenneman, and I have the honor of serving here as the worship director. But this morning, I'm preaching. So, uh, and, and we're continuing on in this series that, that we're entitling Strangers, where we're looking at the kind of people Jesus says are blessed, the kind of people that are a people of his kingdom. And, and also what, it, what leads to us having this kind of blessing. And as Kondo has said the past few weeks, the word blessed means completely happy. Oh, how completely happy. Not an always smiling, the world is perfect, naive, pie in the sky kind of happy, but a deep in my bones, can't shake it, true kind of happiness. And each week, we look at these different things in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus says will make his followers completely happy. And they seem wrong. I mean, we can be honest, they seem wrong. They're the kind of thing that if someone other than Jesus said it, if, if it was in a book other than the Bible, we'd look at it and go like, yeah, I'm not buying that one. That will not make me happy. Pretty much guaranteed. And, and even though it is Jesus saying it, even though it is in the Bible, we're still tempted to say, you know, now Jesus, I know you're not originally from around these parts, being from heaven and all, but that's just not how it works around here. But here in Matthew 5, it's almost like Jesus is saying, yeah, I know that's not how it works around here. I know that's not how you guys do things. By the way, how's that going? How's that going for you? Things working out well? And if we're honest, we have to say no. Like our world is so messed up. There's pain and suffering all over the place. And, and we have broken relationships. And, and there's division and injustice and hatred and vitriol all seemingly everywhere we turn. And yet for some reason we keep thinking that if we keep going in the ways that we're going, somehow it's going to get better. So we keep doubling down. I think here in Matthew 5, I think a great way of reading what Jesus is, is saying here is reading his words as an invitation to something so much better. Him saying, look, my kingdom, my kingdom is different. It's different than what you're used to. So, so please trust me with this. Trust me. Choose to follow me in this better way. So as Jesus unpacks what the culture and the values of his kingdom are like, we should expect that they will make us uncomfortable, that they'll grate against us. Because like it or not, all of us, how we think and how we feel has been dramatically shaped by American culture, often and sometimes more so than the, than the Bible has shaped us. And so these things touch a nerve sometimes that Jesus shares. And, and this morning's verse might at, at the outset seem like it's a little, you know, it's, it's not quite as hard to swallow as some of the others. But when it comes to how we think and feel and act on a daily basis, this is just as unnatural and countercultural as anything else we'll look at in this series. So this morning's verse is Matthew 5, verse 6. 
And it says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. You want to be completely happy? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because if you do, you will be satisfied. Now righteousness. Righteousness is a big old churchy word. One that even if you kind of grew up in church like I did, you, like, you know what it means, but then you stop and think about what it means, and you're like, ah, I have a hard time even describing it right off the bat. Like, you kind of have to think about it a little bit because we get so used to it. But righteousness is goodness in the way that God defines goodness. It's all that is right and virtuous. It's what's really, truly, fully, purely good. Now, before I go further, I just want to remind us all that this call to hunger and thirst for righteousness falls in the middle of a passage where Jesus is challenging what we think is good with what God says is good. God says meekness and mourning and being poor in spirit. And so we need to remember as we look at this that, that when we use the word good, we're, we're talking about how God defines goodness. And so when it comes to desiring righteousness, desiring goodness, there are, there are a few different ways that this plays out. The first one, first and foremost, is that we have to recognize that none of us are righteous by ourselves. If, if, if you're hungry for something, it's because there's a lack of something. Lack of food in my belly means I'm hungry. And so a lack of righteousness, there's a hunger for it. But we don't have it. None of us, none of us have lived up to God's standard of goodness. But those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those that desire to be right with God, to have our sins taken away and to be made good, God gladly satisfies that. It is his joy to satisfy that longing. Through Jesus, he forgives us and takes our sin away, satisfying Oh, how completely happy are those who hunger and thirst to have their sins taken away, for they will be satisfied. That's one facet of this verse. And while those of us who put our faith in Jesus have been forgiven, and now we are sinless and perfectly good in our relationship to God, we still live in a sinful world where we still mess up each and every day. Each and every hour. So a different level of what it means for me to hunger and thirst for righteousness is me being hungry to live out what God says is good. It's me wanting to close the gap, in a sense, between what I know is true, that I am right before God. He has made me right and good, and the daily struggle I have to be good. And to live out what is right and do what I know is right. This hunger is me wanting to live the right way. Loving God and loving others. Being generous and kind and patient and honest and compassionate. And it's me resisting temptation and resisting sin. So another way of sort of understanding this verse is to, is to, to read it and, and, and hear. Oh how completely happy are those who hunger and thirst for their lives to align with what God says is good. 
me wanting to live out what God says is good. But talking about this only in the terms of me, my standing before God, and how I live, it doesn't do the word righteousness justice. It's a bigger word than that. In fact, the Greek word for righteousness can also be translated justice. Some translations of the Bible actually say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied. So how does this idea of justice fit into this whole picture? Well, justice in the Bible means things being right and good by God's definition on a communal level. That every person is treated with the dignity and value they deserve because we have all been made in the image of God. You know, typically when we hear the word justice, at least I think about punishing people for doing things wrong, like through a legal system. But biblically speaking, justice, there's, there's another layer to that where it has to do with lifting up the one who has been wronged. Making that wrong right, restoring the person who was hurt to full dignity and honor and value. So working towards biblical justice is working towards good in the world around me. Specifically for those that have been hurt for the vulnerable and the mistreated. So to keep sort of expanding On this verse, oh, how completely happy are those who hunger and thirst for their lives and the world around them to align with what God says is good. And if you think about it, this makes total sense. In the greatest commandment, Jesus calls his followers to to love God and to love others. A lot of the book of James is about translating our faith and love for God into love for those around us. Specifically, the vulnerable, the orphan and the widow. The prophets of the Old Testament wrote about this a lot. You can't be good with God if you're cheating and mistreating other people. If you're treating them unjustly. So hungering and thirsting for righteousness includes desiring goodness in me and goodness in the world. And there's so many things in this world that aren't good, that don't align with what God says is good. So many big things. Abortion and sex trafficking and extreme poverty and and racism and abuse and war and, and the rich exploiting the poor. All of these things don't align with what God says is good. It's aching for those things to come to an end, but it's also having a heartache for the stuff that we see every single day that isn't right. The quote-unquote little things around us. It's, it's, it's seeing that student, that classmate of yours, continually get bullied. The way that maybe your boss degrades that coworker day in and day out. Seeing people around you not being treated with the value and honor that they deserve because they are made in the image of God. It's all this the big stuff and the daily stuff. Hungering to see that God's goodness in the world around us becomes a reality.
Now, you may have noticed there that we talked about the words blessed. Oh, how completely happy. We talked about righteousness, good by God's definition. But I pretty much skipped over the whole hunger and thirst thing. We've kind of been talking about it as desire or want, which, which is fine, but I want to circle back a minute and, and really kind of unpack a little bit of this hunger and thirst phrase that Jesus uses. Maybe it's the poetic, metaphorical language of, of hunger and thirst, but it can be really easy for me to idealize this. Like, what do you hunger for? I hunger for world peace. You know, like that, like that type of idealizing it and having this really good answer to that type of a thing. But if we start using a little bit less flowery language for it, like let's think about hunger and thirst. Like what are they really? What am I feeling when I'm hungry? I mean, really, it's just me feeling discomfort and being discontent. Hunger is discomfort and discontentment. So, expounding on this verse, oh, how completely happy are those who are discontent with the amount of goodness they see in themselves and are uncomfortable with the lack of goodness in the world around them. You know, usually, discontentment is the problem, not part of the solution. But here, Jesus is saying he wants us to be discontent when it comes to righteousness. Jesus is saying, don't settle for what's not good in your life and in the world. It doesn't have to be that way. Stay discontent with the sin in your life. Stay discontent with injustice in the world. Stay discontent with the fact that abortion is a reality. And that there are women who are in such a hard place that they feel like that's their only option. Stay discontent with that. Stay discontent with the fact that people of different races and different, from different countries and different ethnic groups are treated as inferior. Stay uncomfortable with that sin that always seems to trip you up. Refuse to concede and act like that's just how you're always going to be. Don't accept any of these things as normal. Keep your hunger and your thirst for righteousness. Stay discontent. And you know, this type of discontentment, hungering and thirsting, discontentment, it leads me to an action. Hunger leads me to an action. I get that weird, sticky feeling, dry feeling in my mouth, and I go get a drink. If I start to feel a little bit of hunger, I get off the couch and go get a snack. And you know, it, it really doesn't usually take me very long to go do it. That discomfort moves me to action pretty quickly. I mean, sometimes I don't even wait till I'm hungry to go get some chips and salsa or ice cream or both. Jesus wants us not just to feel hunger and thirst for righteousness, but to take action to take steps to fight sin in my life, to take steps to know him more, be closer to him, and, and to work towards a more good and just world. And do you know why we can take these actions with confidence? Because 
God is discontent with it too. He is in this with us. He is for us in this. He's not passively sitting by in heaven looking at us saying, well, I wonder if they can figure it out. I wonder if they can figure this out on their own. He's not sulking, thinking, you guys made the mess, you clean it up. You figure it out. God hungers and thirsts for righteousness to the degree that he sent his own son. He sent Jesus. He came down in the person of Jesus. God saw that we were not righteous. That we were totally messed up and totally sinful. And he wasn't content to let us stay that way. He took the initiative. He took the steps. He took action to change us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. God made Jesus to be sin for us. So that we might, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the cross, God took all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness, and put it on Jesus. And he took all of the righteousness, the goodness and perfection of Jesus and gave it to us. And that's what makes it possible for us to hunger and thirst after righteousness is because God took this action. And beyond all that, then God gave us the Holy Spirit. There's there's nothing we can do, none of this action that we can do to pursue righteousness makes us any more righteous before God. It doesn't make us any more right before God. Jesus took care of that completely. But we can work to live more righteously. And God has placed the Holy Spirit within us to continue transforming us to be more like Jesus, to empower us to do good. And that's exactly what God said he was going to do in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, where God's promised this. He says, I will put my spirit in you. And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God is not content to let me stay where I'm at. But he is joyfully and actively at work in me. Leading me to live more righteously. And so this isn't just about changing how I act. It's about relying on the Holy Spirit, following his leading as he transforms me to be more like Jesus. So how can we have confidence to fight sin in our lives and pursue doing good? It's because God is totally and completely for us in that. And once again, it's not just about us, but God is at work in our world. Through people like us, God is working to bring about good. I mean, just think about some of our mission partners. The people we partner with that are doing this good work in the world. Think about design outreach. They saw that there are people in the world who don't have clean water. People dying from not having clean water. They said, this isn't right. This doesn't honor the image of God in them. And so they designed a well to bring fresh water to people that didn't have it otherwise. Working for the good. God's good in the world. Think about heart, soul, mind, strength, Haiti. Or next generation for Christ. Like working in Haiti because they saw such a great need. 
poverty and lack of education and opportunities for kids. And so they entered in, got their hands dirty, took action because they were discontent with what they saw in the world and said, this needs to change. Think about ends of the earth as they try to make connections with people from other places in the world here in this town to connect into community and share Christ with them. I could go on and on and on. Heartline. Seeing that there are women and families who, who find out that they're pregnant and, and, and feel hopeless. Like there's no way, that, there's no support, there's nothing that they can do. They have no options. And so Heartline saw that, that problem and said, no, 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 we're going to enter in there. We're going to take a step to display goodness. The goodness of God. And support you in these hard places. And show you that there are are other options. That there is hope. And then even some of you in this room. Fostering. This is you. You're not content to see kids and families in need. And not step out to show them the love of Jesus. This hunger for righteousness, for God's good in the world. It moves us to action. But what about me? How can I tell if I hunger and thirst for righteousness? What do my actions say? What do they say? Am I regularly taking action to become more like Jesus, to draw closer to him? Am I spending time in the word? What about prayer? Am I engaged in community with other Christians? When I'm tempted, how hard do I fight? When I do give in to temptation, do do I hunger to be different? Hunger to not do that again. Do I want to change? And what about how I interact with the world around me? Am I regularly taking action to make the world around me better? Am I tangibly loving and helping others? Am I showing and sharing the love of Jesus, especially to those who are vulnerable and mistreated? The answer to those questions will tell me if I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness or not. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, I, I don't really hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like, I, I, don't, I don't feel that. I mean, I believe in Jesus, and I trust in him, and I know that I'm made right with God, but I just feel lukewarm about this. And, and like, how do I flip a switch to where I now hunger for that? You know, over the past year, as a family, I don't think we've gone out to eat at a restaurant at all. We haven't eaten in a restaurant at all. But we have done what many have, many have done, and we have gotten takeout a lot more. Which, with three small children, it's a better option anyway, a lot of times. And one of our favorite things to, to, to get for my wife and I, for Emily and I, is to order Okinawa. Man, that place is good. 
But we learned something. When we go to pick up our burgers from Okinawa, we drive through McDonald's on the way and pick up three Happy Meals. That's not because I'm cheap. It's not totally because I'm cheap. But it's because that's what my kids want. That's what they're hungering and thirsting for. They hunger for those chickenish McNuggets. They're hungering for that beef-like burger cheese product thing. That's what they hunger. They get excited about that. We're like, "Hey, you want a half meal? Yeah!" Like it's it's like Christmas. But that's not what my wife and I get. We know there's something better. We know there's something better because we've tasted it. We've tasted the peanut farmer with grilled jalapenos and a side of sweet potato fries. We know it's better. I think it's kind of like that. I think that that there's, there's a maturity that takes place. And as we begin to taste the goodness of God, as the psalmist says, as we begin to taste and see that the Lord is good, we develop a different palate. So as my kid reaches over and steals one of my sweet potato fries, and he eats it, he goes, wow, this is better than that soggy, pasty, undersalted thing that, I, that came in my box. And begins to develop a taste for something better, something, something greater. And sometimes maybe, maybe you had that, that hunger for righteousness at one point. You had it at one point in your life. But you just don't now. Start tasting it again. So if that's you, I would encourage you to do two things. First is to pray. Pray that God would give you that hunger for righteousness again. For his goodness again. Remember, God's for us in this. He will honor that prayer. Pray that God would give you a hunger for righteousness again. And secondly, pursue it even though you don't have the hunger yet. Do what is good because that's how you taste it. That's how you get a taste for it. And trust that God will start to grow that hunger and thirst for righteousness in your heart for the first time or again. Pray that God would bring back that hunger and then pursue it. In reality, we're all pursuing something. We're all pursuing something. We all actually read this verse in different ways. Practically speaking. We all fill in the verse in different ways. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, for they will be satisfied. For what? What do you fill in the blank with? 
We all put something in there. We all desperately want to be happy, to be truly, deeply, completely happy, and to find satisfaction like God promises here. And so our lives complete this sentence, whether we realize it or not. Maybe it's your job. Maybe, maybe this sentence for you says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a successful career, for they will be satisfied. And so if I just do good enough in my job, I will be successful and people will see how smart and wise I am. And they'll look up to me and, and, and they'll give me the recognition I deserve. And I'll get that promotion and then I'll get that next promotion and I'll have the, this, the, the power in this, in this organization to, to really make an impact and Maybe, maybe it's money. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for money, for they will be satisfied. Then I won't have worries about, about what, what I can and can't do or buy or have. And, and I, I won't have to worry about putting food on the table. And so if, if I had enough money, then I would, have, I would be happy and I would have satisfaction. Or maybe deep relationships. It's, it's, a, it's a friendship that you just... Blessed are those. How completely happy are those who hunger and thirst for relational closeness for they will be satisfied maybe it's experiences or fun or travel or maybe it's appreciation and recognition from other people i don't know what it is but all of our lives fill in this blank in some way what is it for you you know i Sometimes when you start to think about verses like this, I think we can fall into a trap of thinking of it in only one of two ways. Like there are only two options. I can hunger for good things or I can hunger for evil things, for sinful things. But Jesus here, he doesn't say, blessed are those who only hunger, for thirst, hunger and thirst for righteousness. There are legitimate and even good things for us to long for. I mean, some of those are the things I just listed. It's not bad to want to excel in your career or to ache for deep friendships or like those are good desires. Those are blessings from God. Maybe you, you really want to graduate with honors or, or to, to get that scholarship offer. That's great. Go for it. Work for it. Jesus isn't saying have no ambition other than righteousness because there are a ton of good things we can desire and pursue. God created the world good. And even though sin has corrupted it, there are a million different good gifts that he gives to to people. But we need to remember a couple things about these other good desires that we have. First, we have to watch out that our hunger for other things doesn't eclipse our hunger for righteousness. Because if it does, righteousness will be sacrificed at some point. Righteousness can't survive as our second priority. It can't. Because before too long, something will come along that will force us to make a choice between doing what is good and doing what will put us ahead, what will put us over the top. That hunger for your business to take off. You see a way for it to happen, but, but it requires you to shortchange some people who are working for you. Maybe you hunger and thirst to have a great reputation, but someday 
in order to keep that reputation, it requires you to tell a lie or throw somebody else under the bus in order to keep your reputation intact. Righteousness cannot survive as a secondary priority. So we need to make sure that these other desires fall underneath our hunger and thirst for righteousness, for what is good. And secondly, we need to remember that even though these may be good desires, they won't satisfy us. Not for very long anyway. They can't. It's impossible. It doesn't matter how amazing that friendship is. It doesn't matter how incredible your successes are or how much money or appreciation you receive. How amazing those trips are or those experiences. All of them are incapable of bringing lasting satisfaction. They will not and they cannot fill you. Why? Because God won't let them. God loves us too much to let those lesser things satisfy us. Those things aren't good enough for God's people. God wants more than that for all of us. He wants our best good. And the best good is to be right with God, to be righteous, to be with God. And God knows that if he allowed us to be satisfied with those other things, that we would settle for those and stop pursuing him. But when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, God promises that we will be satisfied because that's the best good. And God only gives the best good to his children. Now this word satisfy here, your Bible might say filled. Those are actually kind of mild ways of translating this word. The Greek word here is used for the process of fattening an animal before a feast. Stuff that animal full so that's as big as possible as, as, as the fattened calf. In an informal sense, it's used to mean stuffed. In fact, one, place, one other place in the Bible, this word gets translated gorged. It's the put your stretchy pants on for Thanksgiving kind of stuffed. Loosen the belt a couple, a couple holes kind of thing. God is generous in how he satisfies our aches and longings for righteousness. He doesn't just give us you know, enough. He satisfies, stuffs us full beyond anything we can imagine. And we experience part of that satisfaction now. We can experience part of that satisfaction now as we live with a clear conscience, as we live with joy, knowing that we're right with God, knowing that we're pursuing good in ourselves and good in the world around us. But there's more to it than that. Remember, remember how this is about being completely happy, blessed, how completely happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Complete happiness comes because we are reunited with God. I mean, that's how he created us. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, he said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. God gave us himself.
1 Corinthians 1. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. You are in Christ, who has become for us our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. So really our hunger and thirst is for Jesus himself. It's for Jesus and for being like Jesus. And Jesus himself will satisfy us. John 6.35, Jesus says this. John 6.35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That longing, that ache, that discontentment will be gone in Jesus. Someday completely. And we are one day closer to that day. We are one day closer. Oh, how completely happy are those who hunger and thirst for Jesus. For they will be satisfied. Beyond satisfied. Forever. That day is coming. When the kingdom of God and the, and the righteous rule of Jesus will be fully realized. The apostle John describes this in, in Revelation chapter 21. Where God gave him a vision of heaven. And this is what he saw. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Someday that gap between me being fully, truly right before God and my daily struggle with sin will close. There will be no more sin. There will be no more struggle. I will be completely righteous and live completely righteously. Hunger for that day. There will be a day when the world will be perfectly just. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more crying, no more pain, because Jesus will make every wrong right. Hunger for that day. Long for that day. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, this morning, there's, there is no better way for wrap, to wrap up this verse that I can think of than for us to take communion together. Because in eating this bread and drinking this cup, we are declaring that we hunger and thirst for Jesus more than anything else. We're declaring that nothing else can make us righteous before God. That nothing else can satisfy.
So as we take the bread and the cup together, let's let it be a declaration of our hunger and thirst for Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we eat this together, let's say, Your body was broken for me. Your body was broken for me. Apostle Paul continued, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's say your blood was shed for me together. Your blood was shed for me. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you took the initiative to make us righteous. That you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us to make us right with you. We thank you for his broken body and his shed blood. That you made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become your righteousness. Thank you, God. Continue to stir a hunger and thirst for righteousness within us, for goodness within us. Give us that hunger. That we... might live in a way that aligns more and more with what you say is good. And that we might be active in this world, bringing about your good for others, as you have for us. God, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.